Good morning. I hope you are well. My family is, is doing good as well and um, just getting through this virus and, and staying at home as much as possible. Um, I look forward to being back with you again and just uh, being able to fellowship, hug, and, and shake hands. Uh, that will be such a wonderful time. Um, so we keep that in our prayers and we look to the future. Uh, this morning, we are in Lesson 6 in our study of Romans, and so if you will please open your Bibles to Chapter 7 of Romans, and we will get started there. Now, we're going to read the whole chapter first, and then we're going to go back into it through the verses. So, verse 1, Chapter 7. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren... You also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment sin would become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, 
I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find, then, the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law. Okay, so let's back up here just a second. I, I continued on. All right, so we've gone through the whole entire chapter. We are now going to take it verse by verse or in sections and, and kind of piece it out and, uh, and see what he's saying. Uh, like we said before, sometimes Romans can be a little bit hard to understand. Uh, but as we go through here slowly and pick it apart, we can understand this. All right, so in verse 1, let me read this again, verse 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Let's, let's go back to verses 1 through 3. Now, he's, he's talking about marriage there, isn't he? Okay, now keep that in mind. He's giving us an example. Go on to verse 4, and we'll get to our comments here after, after these next couple of verses. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Okay, do you get as confused sometimes as I do in trying to understand what Paul is saying? You know, I do too, I do. And it really takes me slowing down and going through the verses and really understanding what he's saying. So these first six verses really had me looking over and over at them again and again. And then with some, some more digging, I was able to understand them better. Okay, um, As a teacher, I don't have all the answers. And a, even for myself, you know, in preparing a lesson, I've got to dig into other resources so that I can understand things fully, find out if I've missed something myself, and then be able to teach that. I've got to understand it myself before I can teach it. So, as I was digging, um, I was able to understand more of what Paul was trying to get across. Now, remember, 
in chapter 6, verse 14. For you are not under law, but under grace. Paul's point is that the law has authority over a person as long as the person is alive. Okay, in verse 1, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Now, since the believer, those in the Roman church, as well as you and I, has died with Christ, the believer is released from the law. And Paul illustrates his point, citing the case of a woman married to a man and thus remained bound by this legal relationship as long as her husband was alive. If her husband died, she is released from the law of marriage. Only the husband's death set the woman free to marry another without the stigma of an adulteress being placed upon her. Now, I hope that's a clearer picture for you. In my case, I was focusing too much on the marriage relationship and missed the concept, the big picture, the illustration that Paul was laying out. Remember, we have been released from the constraints of the old law since we have died with Christ. It is a new beginning. That death of our old self released us from our obligation to our former spouse, the law. So now we are free to be joined to another spouse, Jesus Christ. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? All right, going back to verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of your body to bear fruit for death. Paul is answering his own question in the next part. May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So Paul here is speaking from his own experience under the law. The law was there to make us see that we were sinful. The law acted as a restriction. Now, a sure way to get someone to do something wrong is to set a boundary. And tell them not to cross it. Okay? Telling a little kid not to touch the stove. Well, inevitably, they are going to touch the stove. Okay? They're going to cross that line that you have set. We all do it, even as adults. We do the same type of thing in relation to God's law. Verse 8. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, Produced in me coveting of every kind. Now, let me ask you, does Paul sound like you and I? I always had this picture of the perfect apostle working for Jesus. It helps me to know he had some of the same faults and sins as I do. Notice now that Paul starts using first person singular to point to his own experience. By revealing how things occurred in his own life, Paul taught his readers spiritual truths that they could apply to themselves. We go on in the verse uh, 8. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. So maybe we can state this another way to help us understand because that it, it's kind of confusing. 
So let's state it this way. I did not know how sinful I was until God's commandment came to me. Sin seemed to be dead within me, and I thought myself a righteous man, but when the law of God came home to my heart and conscious, remember how Paul received Jesus through a vision? And I understood that even a sinful thought would ruin me, that a hasty word had the essence of murder in it, and that the utmost uncleanness might lurk under the cover of what seemed a mere custom of my fellow men. When I found out all this, sin did indeed live, but I died so far as righteousness was concerned. Now, in, in helping us understand this better in my studies, I need to give credit to Charles Spurgeon and his writings from very long ago in, uh, in helping us understand these verses. So let's go on to verse 10. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. What Paul is saying here is sin duped him, deceived him, and led him to do the very thing the law forbade, bringing him under the condemnation of God's judgment. Okay, so we go into verse 12. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Now Paul is answering the question he raised in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Paul says that not only is the law not equated to sin, it is in fact holy. The individual commandments are holy, righteous, and good. Holy because they come from God. Righteous because they condemn sin. Good because they seek the highest quality of life. We go into verse 13. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. So Paul touches on the relationship of the law to death. He argues that sin used the law, which is holy and good, as an instrument to produce death, showing what sin's essential character is. Sin is death. God's law exposed sin as the evil and death-producing thing it really is. Now we're into verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. Now this is the same struggle we have even today, spiritual versus non-spiritual self. 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Paul admits that even he does not understand his own actions. Now, this is a frustration most Christians experience at one time or another. Like Paul, we often do not understand the things we do and why we neglect doing things we know we ought to do. 16. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, 
I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. Paul saying even in his sinful state, he knows the law itself was good. 17. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, regardless of his desire to do good, he found his desires hindered every time sin gained the upper hand. Paul is not trying to get out of his responsibility for his actions, but instead he is pointing to the real problem, sin, and the tremendous power disobedience can exert in our Christian's life. He goes on to say in verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Paul here is saying the desire to do God's will does not lead a person to perfect obedience. We must still deal with the weakness of our own flesh. The result is the constant struggle to do God's will and the inability to perform it. We know we are weak. Temptation has such a pull on us. Do you ever feel that as a Christian, it's almost like two people inhabiting the same body? The good one that wants to please God and obey him, and the evil one that follows temptations to its sinful conclusion? Paul says that he suffers from the same dilemma. Now let's listen to these next few verses, starting in 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. What he's saying here is he's got a split mind, the good and the bad dwelling inside, a battle of the heart and temptation, the light and the dark. We have this very same thing in us, and I'm sure you felt that yourself. It's like a battle going on inside. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Now, this is a very valid question that we must ask when we open our eyes to our sinful nature, when we know, when we understand, when we admit that we, we are weak, okay, that, that on ourselves we are weak. 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. You can see that as Paul writes this, his heart feels anguish for his weakness of the flesh. You probably know exactly how he feels. We may face some of the very same temptations and sins that Paul is expressing his sorrow over. 
we often think of the Apostle Paul as this dignified scholar, lecturer, teacher. We give him more stature in our minds than the real-life person. Paul battled himself over what he had done to the church before his miraculous, excuse me, miraculous conversion. He humbled himself to accept a life for Jesus, his former enemy. He traveled dusty byways, oftentimes maybe tired and hungry. How do you react when tired and hungry? Are you the nicest of persons? How about all the times he was beaten, thrown out of a city or temple, pelted with garbage or rocks or whatever was handy? When he was cold, when friends abandoned him, when he was mending a tent for a few coins to eat or continue on his journey. I feel that Paul faced the very same temptations and feelings that we have. God did not put a force field around Paul. God did not say, go forth and you will never be hurt. As we close out this lesson, I want to leave you with another writing of Paul that might help us in our own daily imperfect walk and maybe help us understand what Paul has been saying for these few chapters of Romans. So if you still have your Bible open with me, go to 2 Corinthians verse 12, verses 9 through 10. Or chapter 12, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. Paul is saying that he has his own thorn in the flesh to keep him humble, to remind him of his weak human self. It brings Paul so much discomfort and pain that he asks God to remove it. Read with me God's answer to Paul and apply it to ourselves. Okay? And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I, Paul, will boast or rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. During this next week, Ponder this thought that brings comfort to Paul in his struggles. That God's grace is sufficient for us. That through our own weaknesses, God's power is perfected. Remember that this world is not our home. We are traveling together with Paul and all those Christians before us to our forever home with God. This world is difficult, and we have so many struggles, each and every one of us, because of our weaknesses, those weaknesses of the members of our body. But remember, we're in this together as a family. May God bless each of us as we continue our studies into his word. I look forward to being with you next week, where we will be in Lesson 7, Chapter 8. Now, that will be my last lesson with you, and after that, I will be turning it over to Brother J. Lee Jackson, 
who will continue our studies into Romans. Into Romans, I'm sorry. I love each and every one of you. I look forward to being with you, and I pray that we will all be together soon and that you are all blessed. Have a blessed week.